This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Hey, it's Greg Stanley. If you're listening to this podcast, you know I love everything automotive. This passion has expanded to include being a car specialist consultant for RM Sotheby's. So if you need assistance buying or consigning a collector car at any one of our online or live auctions, including Scottsdale, Amelia Island, or Monterey, you can reach one of our car specialists at rmsotheby's.com or you can email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. Metron Garage is a company designing unique garages, condos, and other structures specifically for the auto enthusiasts. They've got eight models to choose from, including two-story options, which I think is super cool, while with a very modern look and feel to them. And they come in all sizes, and they're fully customizable. You can check out them today and start specking your own ultimate garage at metrongarage.com, where you can request a catalog or talk to someone to learn more. So be sure to check it out. I just want to give a quick thanks to Euro Classics for sponsoring this episode. Euro Classics is all about collector cars, from servicing your new BMW M5 to prepping your Porsche for the racetrack to executing a total restoration on your favorite classic. They do it all from routine maintenance to performance upgrades to appraisals and everything in between. You can learn more about its owner, Dale Oaks, by listening to episode number 65 of this podcast. And you can find Euro Classics in the Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana service area and online at euroclassics.com. Classics, C-L-A-S-S-I-X dot com. Welcome back to the Collector Car Podcast. Hey, it's Greg Stanley, and I'm extremely excited to have Mr. Bruce Meyer on the call today. Bruce, how are you doing today? Excellent. Beautiful California day. It's actually a beautiful Cincinnati day today in Ohio. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm very happy to have you on because I know you're kind of the car guy's car guy or car gal's car guy. You know, I mean, you're you're in it deep. You're in it for a lifetime. You're in it because of your passion for these cars. I know that you had a, you know, a lot to do with, you know, getting the Peterson Museum up and running and making hot rods, you know, more mainstream kind of uh, collectible, you know, understanding, honoring the history of the hot rods. But could you give us just like the Bruce Meyer 101? I know that's a big thing to ask, but a couple bullet points as far as how you're involved in the car world today. Sure. Well, I'm still very involved in the Peterson. You're talking today now, right? Yep, today. Not my misguided ute. (laughs) Um, No. So today I'm very involved with the Peterson and just enjoying every car activity that I can attend and and participate in. So um, I'm active. I love the drive. At my ripe old age, I realized that as much as I love automobiles, the people are what really make it special. And, uh, you know, seeing you at Amelia Island and so many of our mutual friends, it's really about the people. It's, en- it's enjoying a mutual passion with people that you enjoy and that share that love. Yeah, I totally agree. And sometimes people ask, well, will live auctions ever disappear? And I'm like, no, they won't because of the the person, the people aspect of it. People love getting together. They love looking at cool cars. You know, maybe we'll buy one. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll sell one. But it's just that whole environment and the whole, you know, two, three day celebration of the automobile and whatever the event might be that people really enjoy. Correct. Great energy. Lots of stories, you know, sharing, you know, a love of a particular car, you know, as it goes across the blocks and just seeing the crowd's reaction so you kind of get a feeling for the market so to speak although i'm not a seller it's certainly a a great place a great bellwether kind of what's what's hot and what's not yes for sure and like you said you are not a seller and i did want you on to kind of cover your ultimate garage which i like asking car experts who are known car experts 
about what would be in their ultimate garage because a lot of times, and, and you're specifically known for some very specific cars in your collection, uh, you know, what what is what are those 10 cars? What might be something that kind of would catch our listeners off guard? I remember I had Donald Osborne on, and I was expecting, you know, Alphas and Italian and all this kind of stuff, and the last car he picked was a Hypo Mustang, and that one caught me off guard and a couple of my listeners as well. So it's just kind of a fun exercise. I'm guessing some of your ultimate cars are in your current garage i might be wrong on that nope you're right pretty much all you know um i've been doing this for a long time you know at 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 least 60 years of of passion and and you know my ultimate garage the first car i bought was a gullwing so that would have to be you know (laughs) one of those cars it's it's a a global car It's, it's marketable and Europe or Japan as it is in the U.S. It's not just like a, you know, a 409 Chevy, so to speak. It's, it's, so it's a global car, and I would put that at the top of any list. Now, is that any Gullwing, or are you specific to, like, the alloy body ones, or just Well, any? I mean, you know, I mean, I, mine is a steel-bodied, rudge-wheel car, you know, rudge-wheels from the factory. I, you know, that, that satisfies my itch, so to speak. Okay. I, you know, you get a, you get a, you get an alloy car, you other than a few little cues, you just can't tell the difference. So right. for me, it's not worth you know the the delta of you know of the price. It's just uh, it's seriously more expensive and more fragile, and nobody knows the difference. So I, <laughs> I would say a steel gullwing, rudge yep. wheels would be you know great if you if you can, but if you can't, that's fine too. Right. Okay. Well, that was an easy one. What else is yeah. on your list? <laughs> okay. So I, I, I'm I'm. A patriot, so I, I would have to have an American car, at least one, and and I, I consider the Cobra an American car, even though it's an English body and English chassis. Uh, you know, a, a Cobra, you know, definitely belongs in my garage. I, I I have a Cobra. I've been driving Cobras since 1966, actually. So I've I've never been without one, and and I just love those cars. It it's. It gives the the impression that you're going really, really fast, makes lots of noise, and by today's standards, you're just, you know, rolling along. It's nothing. You're not going to get, you know, it's not like warp speed super hyper cars, you know. So Cobra would be in there for sure. Now, isn't your Cobra one of the very first ones? It was just just on the cover of Road and Track. So it was the, every Cobra is known by its CSX number, and CSX is, you know, Carol Shelby exporter experimental just depends on who you talk to so uh, mine is CSX 2001 Shelby's own personal prototype with was CSX 2000 so mine was the very first production car and the very first Cobra to actually participate in a race and then it went to Europe and I I bought it you know close to 20 years ago in Europe and I love that car I drive it a lot and I enjoy it so that that's definitely one that's in there and that's a little 260 leaf spring car, is that right? It's it's early. Yeah. It 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 started with a 260 but in it, it, almost as soon as it was made the 289 came out and Ed Hugus really put it together and he was back in Pittsburgh and mm. he put in a 289. So it really ran most I mean it's other than the first few months it it, it ran with a 289. And it's now, it's an interesting story, and I don't know how much time you have for this, but basically it's a 289 now that has been upgraded to FIA standards, uh, specs. It was sold to a wealthy Frenchman, and he wanted an FIA car, so he took it to Ford Racing of Europe, and they 
put the you know the wider rear wings on or fenders depending on which side of the pond you and <laughs> right. and mags and a and a full FIA you know uh, Weber competition engine and 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 rack and pinion they changed it to rack and pinion in 1964 so it it um, it's everything I ever wanted in a Cobra oh wow, that's awesome and it's it's black, you know, so you can't hurt. That doesn't hurt, right? <laughs> no, I love it. I mean, it's just it's just it checks every box for me. I, 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 in, I bought a Cobra in '65, and and then my roommate bought a, a went out and bought a brand new big block dark green um, Cobra in '66, and I always thought just you know no no headrest, no side pipes, just just a snaky looking thing and i've always thought you know that would be a fun thing to have but then i at the end of the day you know i just don't have the room or the you know i just have don't need extra stuff that i don't drive so i've never i've never gotten that car but um just a small block works for me really well okay all right well let's move on to the next car and give me a heads up when one of these is not in your garage okay (laughs) okay (laughs) well you know so so i uh, over all the years I've just bought one car at a time, you know, mm-hmm. not, not, you know, three cars a, in a year. Just, I've just picked off cars that really, really mean something to me. And, and I've, I've had a Cobra since the sixties, but this, this other one I, I, I bought more recently than sold the one that I had. So, um, I think I have every one of my cars that I love in my garage, except one. And I'll just throw that in right now. And that's a scarab. Um, Ooh, yeah. Reventlo Scarab. That, to me, that just checks every single box. First of all, it was built by Hot Rodders, hundred um, percent. You know, Phil Remington and and uh, Traco did the engine, and it was all American, a pure Hot Rod effort. You know, Lance Reventlo, American, wanted an American sports car that would compete with the European cars, and not only did it compete, but it won. So that that's a car that I've just admired since the late 50s when it came out. I've just been such a fan of that. And there's only three of them. And I don't see one of those in my garage anytime soon because <laughs> you've got three, like, serious, passionate collectors. You've got um, uh, Miles Collier, hmm. Rob Walton, and John Mozart, you know. Those three gentlemen have the three Cobra uh, Scarabs, and, and they're not. I don't think they're going anywhere real soon. So now we did have a recreation at our Elkhart sale. Did you look at that one by any chance? Do you know what's really interesting? Because we could spend a whole hour on, <laughs> on, on, on replicas and, and continuation, or in the spirit of um, Don Orozco, who owned Rob Walton's Cobra before uh, before Rob had parts. He'd collected parts he was a he had a great terrific shop and he was very clever he took little pieces off this car and that car so he built a recreation which would have been the only recreation i think i that i would even consider because it had some scarab parts on it you know just just a hint of dna but um i just couldn't bring myself around to it because i think once you go down that slippery slope and by the way, uh, um, there are Cobras made now that are identical, mm, aluminum-bodied, mm-hmm. everything identical to the old ones, and maybe better in a way. I, I just and they're a tenth the price. Sure. But yep. I just I think once you once you have to explain a car, 
whether it's a new body or a new chassis or a continuation, I think it it has a tendency to um, taint your your current stable, so to speak. So I would I as much there was also there have been a couple of really really faithful re, reproduction scarabs which. I've been tempted, but I just can't let myself go down that slope. <laughs> it's so got to be one of the three. <laughs> it's got to be one of the three, and I and I and and I'm listen. I'm very happy to just to see those. It, all three of these guys use their cars, enjoy their cars, and share their cars. So I'm happy just to to share it with them. You know, you don't have to own everything, and we all know. At least I know now. I'm 80 years old, and you can kind of see the end of the end of this great journey and you realize you don't take any of this with you you know you're just (laughs) custodian so you know knowing that your favorites are in good hands plenty cool and that's good enough for me that's awesome yeah it's a great way to enjoy it through your buddy so that's a yeah and 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 all these guys all three of those guys are friends of mine and and use them and john mozart takes his in the colorado grand you know rob races his personally rob walton is a real first class driver i mean he is professional grade driver and miles brings his out and lets people drive him and enjoy him so they're in good hands it's not like they're solved it away and nobody can enjoy him so i'm happy with that yeah yeah all right but that would be if i you know if they made enough of them or i could get my hands on one that would be right there in my garage okay well let's go through the rest of the list here and see if maybe sure, uh sure maybe it'll prompt uh maybe one other elusive car but we'll see all right what's next okay so uh let me just think um, well, I, I'm not. I wouldn't consider myself a Ferrari guy, but I've got a couple Ferraris that I that I just drive and enjoy. And and one of them is a uh, 250 short wheelbase Berlinetta, 1961. And um, I've all oh my, our fraternity advisor when I was at Berkeley had a short wheelbase Berlinetta, and he took <laughs> me for a ride in it, and that was in. 1962, and I'd always wanted one. So it wasn't until I turned 60 that I, this was my 60th birthday present to myself. So I bought a 250 short wheelbase Berlinetta, and I think they're they're wonderful cars. Um, they're the penultimate GT car, the GTO being the ultimate. And and um, you, you don't need, you know, headsets or pelters, you know, to converse in one. You can... My wife and I have taken it on the Colorado Grand. We we drive it around town. It's a pleasure to drive and aggressive to look at. And 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 um, and they also won a lot of significant races. So I and I, I I've been tending more towards competition cars just in my old age, so to speak. So a two fifty short wheelbase is in there. Okay. Yep. And also uh, the the car that I've currently have had the longest is a. 275 GTB4 cam, 1967. I bought it in 1970, so I've had it 52 wow. years. And and um, to me, that for a for a front engine V12, good looking thing. I don't think you can do much better than a 275 GTB. And and the GTB4 was kind of the ultimate, you know, spec, so to speak. And great car. I, I consider myself more a Porsche person than anything, and I. When I drive that four cam, it feels like a Porsche. It it feels very you're very at one with the car. It's small. It's not like you're driving a big big car. So, two seventy five GTB. Now, what color that. is that car? Um, it's original. It's original paint is on the car. It's a, two, uh, uh, a fly yellow. They called it. Br- oh yeah, yellow. sure. 
Yeah. So I saw that car. It was owned by a very wealthy gentleman here in Beverly Hills named Bill Doheny. And uh, he, he, his family owned a Union Oil Company, Union 76. And he had race cars, and they were all number 76. And so he bought this car brand new in 1967. I saw the car. I, I, it just, it, I, it, it had to be like my son seeing his first Countach or something. To me, right. that was the most beautiful car I'd ever seen, bright yellow. And I'd never seen a car that color. So to make a long story short, I was able to buy that from him in 1970. And at the same time, a, 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 a GTO was less money. Oh no! <laughs> there was a, I, I paid a little. I paid a little over ten thousand five hundred for the four cam, and there was a GTO which is now owned by Tom Price that was for sale right here in Beverly Hills for eighty five hundred dollars. So oh my goodness! You know, it's just you just have to have the knowledge. You have to know what to buy. You know, if you're thinking investment now, whether my four cam is worth, you know, you know. Ten thousand or ten million doesn't matter to me because I'm not a seller. So it doesn't matter if it's a GTO or a four cam. Although it'd be plenty cool if it were a GTO. Yeah, it's amazing when you look back on what could have been. But at least you have that car in your garage, right? <laughs> yeah, no complaints. I've got no complaints, and, I, and again, I drive them. So let's see. I'm. What is that about? That, that's number five. five. Number yeah. five. Okay. So I think everybody should have a thirty-two Ford. Mm. Um, and that just goes back to my hot rod roots. Um, that to me, that just, um, well, hot rods are important and they've been underappreciated for a lot of years and hot rods were built by hot rodders and they were kind of, you know, fed my passion for old cars. So, um, you need a 32 Ford hot rod of some kind, whether it's a roadster or a coupe or Phaeton, whatever it is, I think that's pretty important. And, and um, I, I, you know, I drive mine thousands of miles. I just enjoy it. And I enjoy the, the image and people love that car. So 32 Ford. Now, what's the, uh, what's the appropriate hot rod period? Like is yours hot rodded per 1952 or something like that? Or is it that's later? A really good question. Okay. So I have, if it was appropriate in the 50s, it would have a Ford flathead engine. Those were really kind of like 40s and 50s. And then in mid-50s, they, you know, the Chevy small block came out, and everybody went to that. So um, I have flathead, Ardenhead, and, mm. and small block Chevy, and a big block Chevy. I think my, my, the engine of choice, you just can't beat a small block Chevy engine. You know, uh, what, you know it, it, whether it's a 327 or a 350, they're just, you can't hurt them. They don't cost a lot to fix. You can get a ton of power out of them. So I, but I, all, all my hot rods have what I call three pedals, you know, they're mm -hmm. stick shift. Yep. That, to me, you know, is really important. So, How fast is that Arden head one compared to the Chevy? Um, n not fast at all. <laughs> I, the, yeah, this is a car that was... Uh, built for me by SoCal Speed Shop. It was an, actually a hot rod that was done in the 50s and 60s, and then a guy put an Arden in it, I, I want to say in maybe the 70s, and it didn't do it right. So when I got it, we just started all over again. But it's an original Arden with an original Scott blower on it, and so it looks it looks the business, but I'm so afraid that I'm going to hurt that engine. I, I just I drive it slowly, and, and frankly, you know, 
it's not that fast. Right, Nothing right. as fast as a, as a small ball Chevy. Now, that being said, um, Don Ferguson, are, they are reproducing Arden heads. And, and guys that have those cars that, with the new Arden head setup, they've made some improvements and, and in the oiling system and just the metallurgy and so forth. They can get a heap of power out of those things. So mine's an original Arden, but the new Ardens are, are right up there. They, they, they keep up with traffic, and they, they've set some records at Bonneville right there with the small block Chevy. So I would say the new Arden heads, which uh, are available, are a lot stronger than the ones I have. Wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. So well, that's a nice 32 Ford. 32 Ford. Okay. So, and, and, and next would be, uh, uh, just on, as it comes to mind, Porsches. And, and there are a couple Porsches that I think are really important. One, one would be a 356. And whether it's an A, B, or C, doesn't matter. But I, I prefer the A models. Um, I have a, a 58 Speedster and a little 57 Outlaw Coupe that I built about 35 years ago before they were outlaws, you know. We did all the go-fast roll bar, gas tank through the hood, louvered rear deck, and so forth. But I built that a lot of years ago. Scott Banowski at Hot Rods and Hobbies did that for me, and it looks like it was done yesterday. And now all the, the, the kind of go-fast guys are trending in that direction. But <laughs> I would say a, a, a nice 356, you can't do any better. They're just it, It's a great image. They're wonderful driving cars. Not a lot of money, and if you hurt an engine, rebuilding it is not, you know, doesn't take you out of the game. So 356. And then I would, on top of that, to go to a 911, I have only air-cooled cars, which means like 97, 98. I have a, a 96 turbo, but I, 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 I like the 73 RS, mm-hmm. which was a one-year only in 73, and... and Porsche decided they were going to go racing because up until that they were all limited and they didn't really have a, a homologated car. So they came out and they built the 73 RS. They needed 500. They they thought, well, we'll do 500 and that'll homologate the car. Well, the demand was so strong, not in America because you couldn't bring them in at that point, or they weren't brought over here. Um, they ended up making about 1,500. So they made a 500, then they made another 500, and they made another 500. So the first series are the most desirable, but that doesn't. Any any RS is a nice car. It's a you know 2.7 engine, a uh, little bigger than a than, than than the 911s off the shelf at that period. And they're usually outfitted with sports seats or some kind of lightweight seat, and they're just wonderful cars. It just to me it just speaks 911. Uh, and, and it has that great have, has that great ducktail spoiler, doesn't it? It does. It has a ducktail spoiler. The one I have is actually an RSH, which is a real rare thing. Um, when they first came out with the RSs uh, to homologate them, people had to spec whether it was a a lightweight or a touring, and then a few, only seventeen, came out RSH or kind of ultra lightweight uh, homologation car. So I, I have a homologation car. And I was lucky to get that. And that was, uh, that's a, it's my most recent purchase. And I purchased it private tree through RM. Yeah, that's right. I saw the car and you at 
uh, Scottsdale, Aaron, right? In Scottsdale. So, I mean, I had I had an RS Touring for 30 years, and, you know, white with the blue, just, and I loved the car. I never, ever thought about ever selling it or moving it on, and then I saw that RSH that you had, and I thought, oh, my God. So I did a little homework on it and talked to the fellow that restored it, and, and the prior owner was John McCaw, who I think very highly of, and... Um, so I bought it, and 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 we'll sell the the RS, right? Which, uh, Bruce Canop is doing now, I think. Hopefully, <laughs> so I would say you know that. And then if you if you have like the itch for something really fun, you would go to, with a a, a a a roof, which is mm. R U F. Some people yep. pronounce it rough, but it's actually pronounced roof. And he came out with a car called the CTR, and it's referred to as the Yellow Bird. And so that that is probably the most thrilling air-cooled 911 ride you can get. Uh, and that's a twin turbocharged, you know, 500 horsepower rear-wheel drive, five-speed earth shaker. So you know that's just if you if you have a little room in the garage and you have time you know room to expand it I would say a yellow bird would be really cool. Now is that one that makes it into your ultimate garage? Um, well, let me see. I, I got. Let me just think. I've got a couple more, right? Yeah, you've got uh, the '73 was number eight. And okay, <laughs> and so nine. Well, I'll just you know I'll just can I well maybe I'll do eleven. But anyways, there's a couple that I think that are important. One. You know, I, I grew up on classic cars and always always just thought about having a Duesenberg. And mm. so in the 80s, I bought a Duesenberg, and I, uh, it was restored by Randy Ema, and we took it up to Pebble Beach, and we won our class at Pebble. And I, I just, it's just, um, you know, part of that Americana fiber that runs through me. You know, it's an all-American car. People think it's German, but the, the Duesenberg brothers were American. And um, and they built four EL Cord, the ultimate American luxury car in the late twenties. You know the Roaring Twenties. So I, if you if you have room and you can afford it, uh, a Duesenberg would. And I do have a beautiful one-off Duesenberg built for Colonel McCormick, who was he owned the Chicago Tribune, McCormick Place in Chicago. So I I've had that car for I don't know fifteen years, maybe more, but. I love that car. It's just a big honking classic, and it's not as much fun to drive as a 356, but it's every bit as much fun to look at it, and they do drive well. I mean, they're fast, you know, for a 1929 car. You know, in the 20s, late 20s, I mean, the money was flowing, and you had the Gatsby era and all the wealthy families. So um, E.L. Cord decided he was going to build a car for... The, you know, for for the time, and uh, it was the car for the moment. But then, as soon as he got it going in late twenties, along came the depression, and that kind of shut that concept down. Yeah, and I did a I did an episode that was the fastest car from every decade. And even though all the Duesenbergs were made in nineteen twenty nine, they actually sold and were titled in, as you know, thirty, thirty one, thirty two, and so it's the only car that is the fastest car for two decades. It's, for 1920s and 1930s, which is mind-blowing when you think about it. It really is an amazing car, and hydraulic brakes, and just the 
just a cool thing, you know. So I think it's important. So I throw a Duesenberg in there, and then, and then the other car, which um, I'm pretty new. I mean, I've had this car probably oh, more than ten years. Is a, a Bentley, a, a, an early Bentley. A, a, mine's a four and a half liter. It's a blower without a blower, so to speak. People look at it and say, oh, is that a blower Bentley? It looks like a blower Bentley, but it doesn't have that big lump on the front that adds about $5 million to the price. <laughs> um, but it's a four-and-a-half-liter Bentley, and they're wonderful driving cars. And we've toured Europe in it. We've done four North American tours in it. And it's just a great car to drive. So I would say if you've got room, squeeze a Bentley in there. So I guess right. that's 11 cars. Actually, that's 10, 11 if we count the yellow bird. Did you want to go okay. one more? Um, yeah, I could even go another one. Okay. Which I, well, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I've, I've got a couple Corvettes, um, both which ran Le Mans. And for me, I would say in the last 25 years, I've, I've gained to, to realize how important the 24-hour race is at Le Mans. And so we have a couple Corvettes. I have a C6 R, which is a uh, 2008, and it won Le Mans in 2009. And I've got a 1960 Briggs Cunningham Corvette. Uh, which number? Do you have number um, one, two, or three? Two. <laughs> two, two and okay. I've had it for a really long time. It, it's all credit to a fellow named Mike Pillsbury, who restored it, and and, um, and he gets all the credit. And and I'm just enjoying that car. We we took it and we ran it at uh, Goodwood and. I love taking it out. It's it's a pretty thing, white with the blue stripes. And I think now that, that all three are together, it's going to be, you know, they're going to try and do something to bring the, bring the three of them together again, which would be pretty cool. For our listeners, we did review uh, with Kevin McKay the number three car that was found that we auctioned off, and it's now being restored by Kevin. So hopefully, yeah, we'll see all three cars back at Le Mans at some point. Right, right. Well, actually, the one you did was number one number one that's right yep um and and uh chip miller has the number three car i mean i i i'm not convinced which car is which to be honest with you because <laughs> you look at the lamar papers and that doesn't agree with the corvette experts so i've just kind of stayed clear of that whole thing but um we know one thing whoever has number one and i have number number two and and another new a new buyer just bought number three now we we we, they are the three corvettes you know which one is which is could be debated but i won't sure yeah yeah so and and so i i love the corvettes i also a big fan of bitserini yes you know and and bitserini is a not a you know well-known manufacturer so to speak but the man was amazing and and should be that's another person that isn't that it hasn't he's underappreciated what he is at what he has brought to the world of racing and to the automobile i mean he is the father of the ferrari gto he is a race car savant uh from a very early age i mean he went to technical school and then was hired by alpha and and um then hired away by Ferrari and was in was at Ferrari in the late 50s and early 60s and then they had the Palace Revolt and he left and went with ATS and he's got a, he's had an amazing career but wherever he has been he has changed the automotive world I mean he is he is a very special human being and 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 I think that as time goes on 
he will be recognized as one of the all-time greats right there with Enzo and and uh, Ferdinand and you know the the great car brands and Henry you know so he is he is that important people I just don't think people have come to to to, to know enough about him but um, he he the car that I have was his Le Mans car and it is so technically advanced for 19 19- 65 it's just you could just start a whole list of firsts on that car including the slab sides every race car now has slab sides this was the very first you know it has kind of a cam tail very low you know uh, profile it was it was you know 100 and, I think 190 miles an hour down the straights at Le Mans I mean, he and he drove the car. He drove the car himself from Laverno to Le Mans. He had two two drivers drive it, won their class, and then he drove it home. So, it's just you know, it's got a Chevy engine in it, three twenty seven with four Weber. Excuse me, yeah, four Webers. Yeah, and I saw your video you did with Jay Leno for his garage series on YouTube. You gave a nice overview of that car. Now, I have to ask, how difficult is that thing to get in in and out of? <laughs> ah, okay. So, they didn't show us getting in and out of it, did it? <laughs> I was wondering. We were either in it. Yeah, it's, you know, listen, you know, it, it. my son can just hop right in. You know, I can't. It takes me a little longer to kind of, you know, wind myself up and unwind myself but it, it's it's pretty low and and uh it's it's not built for easy entry or exit or for, but once you're in it it's pretty darn comfortable and you're just like laying down because the car is so low yeah but it is cars. it is a special car and it just makes a divine sound and 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 jay did a, uh, a little video on it. and there's also another one if, if you just put bruce meyer bitserini or something like that it comes up on youtube but um, they did a, a little story on that car. But um, what I loved about Jay's uh, comments were it was his favorite car. I mean, I was just, you know, godsmacked when he, when he said that this was one. And maybe he said it's his favorite or one of his favorites, but Jay's a huge fan of this car. Mm. And uh, unfortunately, the day that he drove it, um, I think there were fires going on in the mountains and he couldn't take it up in the mountains but it's a it's an impressive car you know just gobs of power and great sound and you know movie star good luck so i'm I'm a big fan of bitsreen so i'd i'd like to throw that in there yeah okay no that's a great ultimate garage i do want to revisit one of the cars you mentioned you mentioned your speedster now isn't isn't that an xd mcqueen car so um, I wish it were. So in, in <laughs> sounds the, like a no. <laughs> I, I there is an ex Steve McQueen car, and I did own it. And 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 the one I have now is an identical twin. If they were parked right next to each other, nobody would be able to tell the difference. So it's a black '58 Speedster, super Speedster with rudge wheels. And Steve bought his car brand new in '58, and then he continued to race it, and then he sold it, and it found its way to me i bought it in 1968 so it was about you know 10 years old and i had it for about <laughs> you know probably you know well I, I maybe i bought it in 67 I, I i sold back to him like in the um mid mid 70s um and and uh i loved that car and and he 
he came out and saw it. It's a long story. Somebody told him that I had it. He said, oh, he couldn't have my car. And so Steve came out and, and um, inspected the car, realized it was his, and then he just started working on me to buy it back. And I, I really didn't want to sell it. I liked the car. My wife says, don't you sell that car. You love that car. And so to make a long story short, I did sell it back to him. I thought that was the right thing to do. And he promised me that if he ever sold it, it would come back to me. And, of course, unfortunately, he passed. And now his son Chad has it, and I think it's probably the the coolest automotive thing left in the McQueen family. And I'll, I don't think they'll ever sell it, nor will yeah. I ever get my hands. So I just went <laughs> off right after I sold it to him. I bought another one, which was about I don't know, thirty years ago or something like that, uh, maybe more, maybe forty years ago. I've had this little black one. So, you know, it's identical to Steve's, but it's not Steve's, and that makes it about you know one-tenth the price of Steve's. But I've yeah. never gone at, I've really never gone at this, you know, a- acquisition thing about money or, you know, trying to make a deal and sell it and that type of stuff. I, I just, uh, I'm not a seller, and I've, I've probably overpaid for every th- car I've ever gotten, but I've just tried to buy, you know, the ultimate spec or the, the one that won the race or, Whatever I just think, you know, you got to pay up. I say buy buy the very best, and cry only once. <laughs> yeah. That's my that's what I my, I live by. Now there is a cool picture of you and Steve McQueen in a black speedster, and I think you had bell bottoms on. So was that when you oh, bought yeah. the car, or was that when you sold the car? That's when I sold it back to him. <laughs> yeah, that picture. was in the mid seventies, and uh, oh gosh, and my wife took that picture. The dog kind of sniffing my crotch there and <laughs> but that was out in malibu with, at steve's home and he was married to ali mcgraw and i i had spent a lot of time racing motorcycles in my youth and and back there back then they weren't lightweight motorcycles they were big heavy clunker you know matchless and triumph and that type of stuff but uh um you know we had a lot to talk about because he raced when i was racing but of course he and the eakins brothers were you know expert front runners and i was just toddling along in the back but uh we talked about motorcycles we talked about cars and then i was pretty well talked out after a couple beers you know he he just steve just loved to talk about cars and motorcycles and drink beers and yeah. uh i just you know i i was there for probably an hour and a half and and my wife raylene was in there with Allie, and so they decided that they were going to cook up some dinner for us and so she, she said, you know, Allie came out, you want to stay for dinner? Of course, I, I, I just didn't have anything more to talk to Steve about. I said, no, I think we got to kind of have to run along. I remember the look on my wife's face like, you're really going to run along right when they invite us for dinner? But uh, <laughs> anyways, I just can remember that little detail of the afternoon. Did he have like his, uh, his I think his Brown Lusso there at the time? or he had, he had two Mercedes in the garage, a 6.3 sedan and a 3.5 sedan. Mm. Okay. I mean, 3.5 convertible, excuse me. And, uh, you know, both cool cars, you know. Obviously, the 3.5 was Alley's, and he drove the 6.3, which was a high-performance Mercedes at the time. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, and I appreciate you sharing your Ultimate Garage. We did kind of jump into the Ultimate Garage before I could hear all the stuff you're doing today in the automotive world. So let's go back a little bit. Could you tell us a little bit about where you're up to today? Sure. Um, like this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know what you're doing right now. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm just hanging out. So, so um, you know, I I just 
want to have fun. I'm fortunate that my family's and my son and my nephew run the business part of my world, and uh, and I I I as I say, very involved. I'm vice chairman of the Peterson. So Bob Peterson was a very good friend of mine, a neighbor, and we were in this group called YPO, which is a you know professional group together, and we were in that. And then he found that building and and just kind of brought me in, and so I was the I guess the founding chair, chaired it for 10 years and kind of got it going and kept it going. So I still feel very aligned with the Peterson, but we have the most amazing executive staff at the Peterson with, you know, Terry Cargus, our executive director, director and, and, and Michael Bodell, who's his right hand and maybe left and right sometimes. <laughs> He and Michael run that place so magnificently, and we've had right now we've got a James Bond display, but we've had fabulous, fabulous, you know, exhibits there, world class exhibits. Um, Juan Gonzalez gave us a selection of his soup, his Formula One cars, which are amazing, and Juan is a new member of our board. He owns Mission Foods, but we just have a fabulous board with Greg Penske and Bobby Ray Hall and Chip Connor and. Just, just rock stars guided by uh, Richard Varner, who runs Moto America. So, the the Peterson has never been on more solid ground. Great exhibit. So I spent a lot of time there. We have a group called the Checkered Flag 200. It was a club that I started 25 years ago, and so I'm still active in that and chair that and plan events. And so the Peterson takes up a fair hunk of my time, and then my own garage takes up a fair hunk and then i'm involved with a bunch of charities i'm children's hospital i'm on a, a couple hospital boards and uh and then a, a, we started a group called the chp 1199 foundation which is a california highway patrol charitable foundation and i, and I spent a fair amount of time on that it, it was started uh by a fellow named bob weinberg it was a friend of mine he started it and then he passed away and a, and we decided we were going to formalize it, so we put together a board after he died, and and um, there were about five of us that kind of founded it and got it going, and so I'm pretty involved in that. That's been probably 25 years. And then I'm involved civically. I, I don't know what I do, but my day is packed. I, I go to bed late at night and early or early in the morning, 12-1, and get up early and just keep going. I yeah. wish there was no internet. The internet takes way too much time. <laughs> yeah, well, oh my God, the, the emails and all that. Uh, there is one question I do have for you related to the Peterson. You you were really a driving force behind bringing hot rods into the collector mainstream. I don't know a better way to put it, but where they were recognized by Pebble Beach, you know, they, they're accepted more as investment grade if they have the right type of history, you know, just really made them more than they were before. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you speak a little bit to why or how or yeah. you felt the motivation to do that? I know you're a hot rider at heart, which I know has, is part of it, right? Well, you know, so I, I grew up in a very modest, you know, family, and, and my parents were products of the Depression. So they realized how important saving money and not running out of money and getting by was. And so cars were not part of anything that they related to. So... I just came out, you know, with cars in my DNA, and all I could think about was cars. 
and 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 they did everything humanly possible to get me focused on anything but cars. So, <laughs> I, I you know I say now in my later years, you're never too old to have a happy childhood, and I, and that's what I'm doing. I'm just you know I think hot rods. Well, first of all, hot rodders were, as I mentioned earlier, just super important. Whether it was the Cobra, or or the Scarab, or even in Detroit. I mean, hot rodders really built our automotive America. And and you know, whether it's fuel injection with Stu Hilborn or 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 Lamont with Phil Phil Remington, these were all hot rodders and Travers and Coons Traco, uh, you know, Parnelli Jones, Dan Gurney, one of my all time heroes, he's a hot rodder. He raced at Bonneville. And and so I I just for so long I just thought hot rodding when I was growing up they my parents just thought of hot rodding as the equivalent of the Hell's Angels on four wheels, you know. <laughs> right. They just thought that there was no greater waste of energy, resources, or or time. And so they did everything they could to, you know, steer me away. But but it it, it it's just, it's a very underappreciated art form, and it was so important technologically to... You know everything we do, whether it's NASCAR or Bonneville. I mean, these are hot rod guys and gals. So, about um, I want to say this was probably in the late '70s, early '80s. I decided that uh, I bought a hot rod, and that's you know almost by accident. Jim Busby had one, and I said, "Oh, if you ever sell it, let me know." And he. Next day, he, he called, called you on me. it. Yeah, he called me on it. Damn, you know, because I wasn't ready. I didn't even have, you know, it wasn't a lot of money. It was $15,000 for a 32 Ford. So anyways, I bought that, and every time I drove it, I enjoyed it more and more, and I started doing, you know, deep dives into hot rodding and bought a whole, the whole run of hot rod magazines and just poured over it and enjoyed it and and realized that, you know, my, my heroes were hot rodders. And so um, I, I I've been active at Pebble Beach with the Duesenbergs and other, you know, classic kind of cars. But um, they never had hot rods. And so I started working on the organizers of Pebble Beach, um, Jules Human and Lauren Tryon. And, I mean, I became the world's biggest pest. <laughs> I was so annoying. Every, every hot rod article, anything that legitimized hot rods, I would – copy and send to them so i finally in 19 the christmas of 96 i got a text from lauren tryon that just finally was like we've had you know like bruce just enough already you know (laughs) we're we're going to try this out for one year and then just stop okay and so i said great you know so he said we're going to do hot rods in 97 and another you know authority and automotive authority and hot rod authority is Ken Gross. Mm-hmm. So um, after I'd heard from uh, Lauren, you know, we got together and, you know, um, Ken was involved in the in this early, you know, organization of hot rods at Pebble Beach and still is. He, he does a lot of the planning for that. But that moment in time, Pebble Beach, 1997, was a pivotal turning point in, in the image of hot rodding because – can you imagine? I mean, Pebble Beach is the like the high the high water of of classic cars and prestige and you know everything that's wonderful about the cars and the hobby. And to have hot rods there, 
completely transformed the image of hot rods and hot rodders. And but anyways, a Rolls Royce judge, Rolls Royce everything. All of a sudden, he 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 decided he wanted a hot rod. <laughs> every one every one of my friends, you know, wanted a hot rod. And all of a sudden, they were just everybody. You know, after but that was after Pebble Beach, okay. But up until you know Pebble Beach, it was you know nobody even talked about uh, about hot rods. Roger Morrison, I God, I just his name just came. He's a real quality guy and lives in Salina, Kansas. And anyway, so he's had hot rods, and you know you got Chip Connor with hot rods and Charlie Nierberg, all the guys that own GTOs. Even Rob Walton has a thirty-two Ford hot rod. So. You know, I think I've done a pretty good job of infecting all my friends and <laughs> and beyond. So I I just think hot rods are that important, and I think they they they, they there should be a hot rod in every garage. That's my and that's part of my that's definitely in my top ten. Yeah. Now let me ask you this: uh, What is the next car or segment of car that needs a champion like you to you know eventually be, let's say, on Pebble Beach or just to be accepted more to the mainstream? Is that you know, JDM cars, is that cars, you know, the few performance cars we had from the 80s. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I hadn't given it any thought. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I'll be happy to think about it for a moment. You know, I mean, I just think um, uh, uh, Pebble Beach has done a, you know, first of all, you've got San, Sh- Sandra Button, who she she has done a, an amazing job at, at maintaining the high standards of Pebble Beach. I mean, it's as, it's as, it's held in as high esteem as it is it's ever been but what she has managed to do is to keep it current and whether it's like i believe they're doing 901 porsches which were the mm. you know the first 911s this come you know maybe i'm letting the cat out of the bag but i think that's coming in 2023 you know that she's managed to keep it current so so i just think of i have my son who's 45 what he likes and 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 he's a big Porsche guy, and he also grew up with. He had a Typhoon when he was you wow. know, younger. Yep. You know those are you know. So I think that there's this group called Radwood. Yep. Um, which I I don't see that you know Pebble Beach turning into Radwood, but I think there are places like Radwood where you can celebrate things that aren't Packards and Duesenbergs and <laughs> right. Ferraris, so to speak. You know so. I think, you know, under Sandra's care, and I'm sure when she retires, you know, or I hope that somebody will be as open-minded as, as she is, but you, you, you've got to keep that event current. Because if it were just, you know, 34 Packards and Duesenbergs and Isadas and Rolls-Royce, I mean, nobody would come. Right. But, you know, the, the Ferraris, and they, you know, got involved in Ferraris and custom this and, you know, Ferrari's won Best of Show at Pebble Beach, so um, John John Shirley's car. But um, it 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 you got to keep those shows current, and and every show, whether it's you know the, the St. John's, which it used to be Meadowbrook, and Amelia Island, they all have have had hot rod classes, and even this year at Amelia, they had hot rod class. So I think people are now really really realize that historic hot rods have a place in in the real world of cars and in in the best collections worldwide. And even Everett Lauman in The Hague, who arguably has one of the finest collections in the world, has a hot rod. Um, Ross Myers, 
who has an amazing collection of race cars, has a whole, he probably has the most extensive collection of historic hot rods anywhere. Wow, okay. So, and, 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 and there's a guy you may want to talk to at some point because he's a really interesting and bright guy and a, and a racer. But, um, you know, I don't know what the next hot rod is, so to speak, but I think you've got to just, um, I mean, you, 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 you know, you should know, Greg, because it's your generation. You <laughs> That's know? right. What, I should ask you, what do you think is the next, uh, you know, eye-opener? You know, I think it will be, it might be another 10 years or so, but I, I think the really rare factory race cars, like the DTMs or the Killer Bees or, you know, stuff that maybe, you know, the quality of the plastic may not have been the best because it was the 80s, but it's a super rare, super high performance factory car that, you know, the same qualifications that you look at Porsches in the 60s and Ferraris in the 60s, just move that up a couple decades. I think those are the cars that will be really uh, sought after. I mean, look at the 917s that are at Pebble this year, or last yep. year. You know, I mean, that was that's an incredible a, And that's class. a good point. And, you know, so so if, if I look at, like, every car I've ever had and just look at it, you know, from, you know, year one to today, the cars I'm buying now are, are um, race-bred cars or race cars. Or, or Le Mans winners. I have a dragster that's the most winning dragster in the history of drag racing. Um, I have Scotty Parker's flat track bike. But I think that competition cars and high-performance cars, there's a place for those. I mean, they made so many F40s that if you did an F40 class at, at Pebble Beach, they would all look the same. They're all red, and maybe one's just <laughs> right. detailed a little better than the other. And I think they're darn important cars. And they may do, like, one of, you know, F40, F50, or GTO F40, F50. You know, they may do a class of some of those, you know, performance cars. But I think performance and race-bred cars are super important. I agree. And, and those, yep. and those that's the future, in my opinion. Point, I, I was with a friend of mine, David Pyle, who's a very elegant gentleman and, you know, could basically afford anything he wants. And... This last year, he bought the nine thirty-four and a half at uh, at Amelia Island, and he's never—I don't think he's ever been to a car race, but he realized <laughs> the importance of it. You know, so I think when you get into racing, and you know, that's going to make a difference. Well, just like the car you bought, the what was it, seventy-three RSH? I mean, you take that yep. to the nineteen nineties with the RSRs, or you know, the rare lightweight cars that are already at a million dollars. You know, there's a there's the rarity and the provenance, uh, and you know, it's a Porsche, you know, that people can relate to. I think yep. those are the cars that will definitely yep. continue to go and, and be honored and recognized at you know, the big events in the world. So, mm-hmm. well, one thing I like to do at the end of this, and I believe I gave you a heads up, this has been really tough. I play a little game called keep cash and crush, and I'm going to give you three cars and you have to pick one to keep forever, one to cash in. And then one, unfortunately send to the crusher. Now I know, you're a car guy. You can never throw into the crusher. So it's hypothetical. And if you're having trouble, you know, just tell me number one, two, and three. And I came up with my list before this call. You named each one of the cars in your ultimate garage, which I'm like, oh, I should probably switch those oh, out. Oh, no. Yeah. But I, <laughs> I've decided I'm just going to keep, keep them it. all. <laughs> I just, it's the first time it's happened where someone had has picked those cars for his ultimate garage. So I'm just oh, going to keep boy. it the way it is. Let's see how okay. you do. So the three Go cars are... Right. Uh, Mercedes Gullwing, uh, a Porsche Carrera Speedster, 
and an AC Cobra 289 car. So which one would you keep forever? Which one would you cash in? Which one would you crush? God. Or one, two, three. That's not fair. <laughs> I know. It's okay, not. I'll do. So, so you know, um, my my favorite car is probably the Cobra, but that's probably the least value, intrinsic value. So, I would probably put that. You know, towards the what are the three? So you a Gullwing, a Cobra, and a uh, Carrera uh, Speedster. Oh, Carrera! Oh, Carrera Speedster. Yeah. Okay, so the Carrera Speedster is probably one of it's it's probably one of the rarest. But you know, the problem is getting people to work on a Carrera. You're talking four cam <laughs> Carrera. Yes, four cam. Yep. Um, that's that's just super rare. But I I would probably. You know, are you thinking of investment or just fun of driving it, or however you, know, how you define it? <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's fun of driving, I would do Cobra, Gullwing, um, Carrera, Speedster. Importance, you know, in in for the future, I think the one brand that just resonates in the future are are Porsches. Yes. And all the high-tech people, all the people with gobs of money, they're all buying up these rare, you know, desirable Porsches. So I think Porsches probably got the the, the most legs as far as the future goes. Um, if, you know, and and I love the speeches. I've had one forever. But with the 4Cam in it, it to me, I, I don't think it it adds anything other than complexity for the most part. Okay. It's rarity and complexity. So in the investment side, it, you know, maybe the Carrera Speedsters may be number one, and 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 Cobra number two, and maybe Go. I mean, Gullwings just kind of plot along. I, I bought my first Gullwing for $4,000 in 1963, mm. and... and um, and I was with a guy this weekend said he paid five thousand for his Gullwing. So they just kind of, you know, they don't go up real fast. They don't go down real fast. They just kind of move along. So I think, and I think, as I said earlier, the Gullwing has a world market. So it'll always be worth something. So, boy, th- those were three. Why didn't you throw in a F one fifty pickup? <laughs> <laughs> I thought about switching it to modern cars, but then I thought you might trash all three of them. So it, you know. No, you're right. You know, I don't even know what mod- I don't even know the modern car stuff. But those were three good ones. That was um, that, those are tough. Yeah. Well, thank you f- so much for joining the Collector Car Podcast. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about either you or the Peterson or whatever you want to share? I would say the. Go on YouTube, learn more about me. The P- and and the Peterson has its own website, so um, you know they're easy. Both of us are easy to find. <laughs> right. Okay. No, that's fair. Yeah. All right. So we go to YouTube to find you and maybe see the interview with Leno or the other one going over your Bizzarini, and then we can go check out the Peterson at their website. Right. Yeah. And thank you, Greg. And and thank you for plugging the peterson you know we we appreciate all you do and all rm does too yeah well thank you so much bruce you bet and all the best i always sign off never lift you know keep your foot firmly on the gas never lift i love that never lift okay my friend (laughs) thanks for listening to the collector car podcast don't forget to give us a nice rating on itunes and be sure to follow us on instagram and everywhere else at the collector car podcast